Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. We're in our series, Blessed Are Those. It's going through the Beatitudes, and we're on the sixth Beatitude. I can't believe we're crushing through this service so, or this series so fast. The beatitude simply means supreme blessedness. And what we've learned so far is this is really the unfolding of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Jesus came to bring the heaven here and now as it is, as it is in heaven here on earth. And that's what we want to unfold in our own lives and what we've seen from the beginning of this great sermon that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is that he loves to use this word blessed. And the word blessed simply means, as we've said every single week, happiness, not based on your surroundings, happiness based on the Lord, contentment, fulfillment of life. And so because I have so much to go through, I want to quickly just go through these Beatitudes. Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today we're going to be focusing on the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart. This would have been a really massive statement for Jesus to say back in the day. See, the desire of all those people in actuality was that their faith would be realized. That their faith would come to be. They've heard all of these scriptures read in public settings. They've experienced prophets who have come through their lives. Or they've heard the stories of the old amazing heroes of the faith. Even people like Moses who saw a glimpse of God. So Jesus saying this would have been such a big deal. They maybe desire to go back to the Garden of Eden when God would walk among them is what it said. This would have been a big deal for God, for Jesus to say this. And I love the fact that God himself is sitting there explaining this to them. Jesus, the Messiah, is saying, you want to see God? It happens when you have a pure heart. And before I attempt to unfold this beatitude all the more, because I have so much to say about it, I want to read Psalm 51, 1 through 10. It's the lyrics to a song that King David wrote. It's one of the most famous psalms of all time. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with a hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even if we've heard it before, that today it can come alive to us. Lord, I pray you will speak to people in this room. You'll enable us to be your hands and your feet all the more. We want to see heaven come. We want to be bringers of heaven. So Lord, use us, empower us, anoint us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Pure in heart. Pure in heart. Now obviously, as we read this, we're not actually talking about a physical heart. Like I'm not here to give you a 101 on how to get a healthy heart. You know, eat some more Cheerios if you believe that or not. And lower your cholesterol, it's going to help you. Like we're using this as a metaphor, right? This is a metaphor helping us understand that this is the central location where thoughts and emotions are born from. Your heart. This is where love, compassion, and loyalty can take place, is in your heart. Are you with me, church? It's a metaphor for us to see, but it's wild so often that it's so much harder to line up our minds with our heart. Like, to line up our emotions and our true feelings with the outworking of those things. It can often be so disconnected in our humanity and it's so hard for us to outwork them. In some silly examples that I'd say, have you ever meant to say one thing but you ended up saying another? Like someone approaches you and goes, how does this outfit look today? And you like give them like a half true response, but like you know it would have been better for them if you told them like that's too tight or that doesn't look good on you? Nobody else, I'm alone in this, that's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Or like someone asks you what did you think about a, a movie or a concert or something and you like absolutely hated it but you just give a half true response? Like we're not really lining up our heart with our words. Another example is you're in an argument with someone and you go too far and you say something that actually hurts them and you say this phrase, we've all said it, I didn't mean to say that. I probably say it every day, that's okay. We all do this. I think we do it more often than we actually realize. Probably if you walked up to anybody at church today and say, how are you doing? The common response has one word in it, good. Like, are you actually good? Like, how was your week? Are, like, line it up for me. Line up your true emotions in your heart with your mind, but oftentimes we just kind of hide behind it. Are you with me? I had this friend in high school that he broke the bro code with me. We were about 17 and I was dating this girl for a couple months and uh, we ended up breaking up and it was a week later, all of a sudden, they, they posted online, they were dating. And I like went to him like, bro, that's messed up, you can't do that. Like, you broke the bro code. And he comes to me and he goes, yeah, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for it to happen. It just kind of happened. And I'm like, you're the reason we broke up, right? Luckily, they're still married and I got Brianna, so life is good, you know what I'm saying? So we got four kids together, life is good. Nine years married, hallelujah. But it's funny how even big moves in our lives, we can use that phrase just so freely. I didn't mean to do it, I didn't mean for it to happen. 
Believe it or not, I actually used to be a whole lot more abrasive with my words. I know, it's crazy. But I was leading a team of designers about eight years ago, and uh, they came to present their Easter design to me. And they put this design in front of me, and the first words that came to my mind, I shouldn't have said it, I go, did we download this off of Google Images? And they were like, everybody in the room was just terrified that I just said that. And the girl who designed it started to cry, and it was a terrible moment. I know, I'm telling on myself, but don't worry, I apologize, I repented from that thing. But I remember saying afterwards, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. I didn't mean for it to be hurtful. I was just trying to say it's just not good enough, you know? <laughs> Since then, thank God, I'm a whole lot more quick to listen and slow to speak, you know what I'm saying? I'm a little more fluffy around the edges. I'm not so sharp, but we all walk this fine line in our lives where everything that comes to mind doesn't come out. Yet we need to learn the art of lining up our hearts with our words and actions. This disconnect between our emotions and our actions is the great divide in our humanity. We have always and will always be in pursuit of bridging the two together. And when you bridge the two together, when you bridge your heart, your thoughts, your emotions, to your outworking of that, it's called character. Are you with me? When you bridge your heart to your mind, that's called character. And Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 8, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, we, just like the people Jesus is speaking to, want to see God. We want to see him revealed in our lives. We want our faith to become reality. Wouldn't you agree? But I think it's important that we understand the power of what Jesus is saying. He didn't say by faith. He said with the purity of heart. And I want to unfold that a little bit more. I read Psalms 51. One of these most well-known and profound things that David ever wrote in the Psalms. You've probably seen it all over plaques, created me a pure heart. Comes from one of the most disgusting, dysfunctional stories in the Bible with David and Bathsheba. And if you haven't heard this before, I'm gonna remind you of it very quickly. David, who should have been out to war with all the other people, decided to hang around at the, at the castle. And there he is in the middle of the night, gets up, and wanders around the castle. You know that's the first wrong move right there. You're just wandering at night, like avoid the night. He gets up and wanders and sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof, invites her in, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, decides, I have to cover this up, brings her husband back, tries to get her husband to sleep with her, or with, yeah, with her, and he won't do it. He wants to go back out to the battlefield and be with the other warriors. So David freaking out a bit, sends her husband back to the front lines to be killed. King David, to be killed. After he's killed, takes Bathsheba to be one of his wives. And this prophet Nathan comes into the picture and calls him out. In a roundabout way, tells him what he's done wrong. And David, in this place of realizing he has done one of the worst things of his entire life, writes Psalms 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. We read that a little bit differently now, don't we? 
According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. See, he understands his position and the grace God offers. He doesn't expect it. He asks of it. That's key. We need to understand that. We can't just expect God's grace. I'm going to mess up today. I'm just going to expect God's grace tomorrow. We should ask of it. Verse 2, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So here, David is stating the fact that he knows that, he, that the sin will always be in front of him and tempting him, and yet he fell prey to it. So he has this awareness of it, and he mentions that. Verse 4, against you and only you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You, I want us to see this, that we are born into a sinful world, a broken world, in need of God to justify us. And then it continues to talk about the fact that he desires faithfulness even in the womb. And he taught us wisdom in the secret place. I'm going to talk about that one in just a second. And he goes on to say a little bit more, and in verse 10 he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. David for one of the first times, now is fully bridging his heart and his words to his true heart unto God. His character is coming out in this moment. He's in the worst place of his life, just committed some of the worst sins, yet he's becoming a man of character. Do you see this? Isn't that interesting? We think being a person of character is, no, 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 you can't do anything wrong, you're a person of character. No, it's lining up your heart with your mind you say what you do, you do what you say, and you do the right thing. This is being a person of character. So David is doing this. He's bridged this together. He asked God to create in him a pure heart and a steadfast spirit. He asked for a fresh start, and he asked God to help him fight the good fight, just like he says that his sin is always before him. So he asked God to help him combat that. So two quick things I want us to see from this. First of all, childlike innocence is our example of our heart posture. Childlike innocence is the example for our heart posture. So David says in verse 6, You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Okay, so all I remember when Brianna was pregnant was it caused Brianna a lot of pain, would randomly make her throw up, and then babies were just pushing on her belly randomly, right? This is like what I remember. But yet David has a whole other perspective of the power of the womb. He calls it a secret place. The secret place of the womb. You desire faithfulness even from the womb. I learned wisdom from that secret place. So before you had the opportunity to be unfaithful, you were innocent. That's why there's this age of awareness. We don't know exactly what age it is, but the age of awareness I think is getting younger and younger and younger in kids right now because of how crazy our world is. But there's this age of awareness that if a kid is, say, two years old and they don't fully understand God, they're still innocent and they'll be found in heaven with us. And he's saying, I've discovered wisdom in the womb. I love this example. See, although we are born into a sinful world, David understands that the innocent that he holds in his mind is a child. This example of innocence is how we approach the heart of God. Even this morning, it was a funny example. Uh, Manny comes and picks me and the boys up 5.30 in the morning to come to church. 
And we all stand on the sidewalk ready for Manny to come. And it's a good time for us to play worship music and pray in the car and come here and pray a bit. And uh, Emerson jumps in the car and he goes, well, your car's a mess again, Manny. <laughs> now, understand this. He had an umbrella and a jacket in the back seat. It's even vacuumed right now. Okay, ladies, if you're single, he's single. He got a vacuum car, praise the Lord. I'll take you to lunch. Mm -mm. But what happened was, is Emerson, it was the first time Manny came to pick us up, it actually was a mess. And ever since then, if there's a single thing in the back, he'll say that. Another thing is so funny, uh, uh, he was like talking about this guy at church, he goes, you know this guy with like all the lines? It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, dad, he's all frustrated. Dad, the guy with the lines. I don't know what you're saying. We're showing him pictures from the weekend. I'll send a picture of Clay, and Clay's like a bodybuilder. Comes up, and he's like, that's the guy with the lines. I mean, you mean veins? <laughs> the lines. Clay is also single, praise the Lord. Got a lot of single guys on the front row. Something's happening. Go to growth track, find your spouse. That's it. But Jesus, see, he saw this great innocence in children. Emerson doesn't mean to say something would hurt someone's feelings or show them in a weird light or anything. He's just saying his mind. Jesus understands this great innocence. And when in the middle of discussion with the disciples who are asking who's going to be the greatest disciple, he responds like this, Matthew 18, 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a statement to read. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, whoever, meaning every single one of us, taking the lowly position of a child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. See, Jesus says a very significant thing to these disciples. He says, you want to be the greatest? Take on the lowly, humble innocence of children. Jesus fully understands the purity and innocence of these children. And then he says, to welcome a child is to welcome me. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Our childlike faith and our innocence leads us to see God and to the inheritance of the full kingdom of God. And the second thing I see from these two scriptures is God in his abundant grace offers a pure heart to us when we ask. He offers it to us. I don't know where our culture maybe took this turn and maybe it's always been like this, but there's been this thing, this uproar against purity culture. Remember when I was a kid, I always used to ask my parents for a purity ring because I was going to be pure for all my days. And parents would give them to all their friends, they, I mean, to all their, all their daughters, and, and, and everybody was walking around in the Christian sphere I was in with all these purity rings. And there's kind of an outrage about this now because people are going, they put so much pressure on purity and didn't give a response to what happens if you mess up. So now if you mess up once, you're no longer pure and you can't wear your ring anymore. It's a sad culture that we had built in our world. Now, I believe in the power of a purity ring. I believe in making a promise to oneself to say, I'm going to hold on to this. And I think we all should. If you're not married, 
you shouldn't be having sex. That's just the reality of it. Is that okay to say? I told you we speak truth here. That's just the reality. So I get it, and I understand it, and I hope I can tell my girls and my boys, you should hold on to the promise that you've made to yourself and wait. Because it's so worth it. It's so worth it. See, I want you to see this, that the all-creating God hasn't stopped creating. So for us to think that you're one and done is so wrong, all you have to do is ask, and you can receive a new heart. You want purity? Ask God for purity. He offers it in his abundant grace and mercy. Put the ring back on. You can walk in the purity that God offers today. You're not too far gone. I want you to hear that today. And we need to speak that and believe that over people, that God has so much grace and mercy to us. See, when we invite Jesus into our hearts through salvation, we open up the ability for him to rule and reign in our lives. Just like Ezekiel 36 says that God will exchange our hard heart for a soft heart of the spirit. So we understand that he gives us a new heart when we invite him into our lives, when you give your life to Jesus. When we understand that we're born again in a new creation in Jesus Christ, this opens up the availability for us to have a pure heart. And before this new creation or exchange of hearts, we cannot have a pure heart. That's why we give an opportunity for salvation at the end of every single service. Because if you're lost and you haven't found Jesus yet, and you haven't declared him as Lord and Savior of your life, you cannot walk in purity. But the beautiful thing is when you acknowledge Jesus and give him rule and reign over your life, Every single day, his grace abounds and abounds and abounds. Amen, church? Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you an heir. This helps us to see that the Holy Spirit is within us and enables us to ask for this recreation of our hearts every single day, every single moment. And I want you to know, we should never shy away from asking right afterwards. You feel guilt? That's not of God. You feel shame? That's not of God. What he did on the cross breaks guilt. What he did on the cross breaks shame. What he did on the cross breaks condemnation. What he did on the cross breaks addictions. And we don't need to wait for the next day when we feel good enough in our hearts or our minds to ask for forgiveness or purity of heart. Walk in it. He offers it freely. Amen? Amen. Now we have access to a pure heart. So pursue the innocence of a child in your heart. And believe you are a new creation because of Christ. If I have a main point, it would simply be this. We have to be people of character. Live as we were called to live. And when we do, our hearts are pure. Then we will see God in this life and the next. And just know, His mercies are new every morning. Last month, I was chatting with Tyler Hansen on the phone. <clears throat> this is where I'm going to go a little bit longer. Is that okay? Are you guys with me still? I told you I got a lot to talk about. I was chatting with Tyler Hansen on the phone. And I said, Tyler, uh, he, was, he was looking for a new car. He's going to dealership to dealership. And if you know anything, cars cost a lot of money right now. Like, they're running out of inventory, and so they're selling them for ridiculous amounts. And Tyler and Caitlin already had a loan set up 
they basically had cash walking in to pay for a car. So they'd look online, see a price tag, walk in and go, I want to buy this car for that amount, and they would say no. Everywhere they went, they would say, yeah, we're going to charge you a transfer fee of $1,000. We want you to get this warranty for $3,000. We want you to spend $5,000 extra just to get this car today. And he goes, no, 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 you advertise online that, like, yeah, I could buy this car for this much. And they, every single place said no. Like, what kind of world do we live in where we have that kind of false advertising on every single thing? He went to, like, five dealerships, and they all did the same thing to him. The ball was in their court. I want us to think of it like this. Like, you would never go to the store and buy a bag of Lay's potato chips and go, man, I hope that there are potato chips inside of this thing. Like they advertise all on the outside that there are crispy golden brown potato chips in there. You would never buy a bag of Lay's potato chips and open it up and find a bunch of Cheetos. Nope. It's called false advertising. They wouldn't do that. We all hope that when we open up a bag of potato chips, we're going to find a crispy little potato chip. You guys want this? Clay doesn't need it. <laughs> They're still good. But I feel like this is what we do all the time. We false advertise what's in our hearts. I think we're the artisans of false advertising. Let me tell you today that what's in you will always come out. Jesus gives us this teller of false advertising. Jesus says he continues the Sermon on the Mount. It's still in the same teaching. When he's sitting down, the disciples come around him, the crowds gather. Chapter 7, verse 17, he says this. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. And every bad tree bears bad fruit. Everybody tracking. If it's a good tree, you're going to have good fruit. If it's a bad tree, you're going to have bad fruit. But he says this statement, and we need to hear this today. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. A bag of potato chips cannot have Cheetos inside. See, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Hear me today, church. We will see the purity of our hearts through the fruit that we bear. You want to tell her? You want to see if someone is true and honest and full of character? They will bear fruit. If there's goodness inside of them, they will bear good fruit. If it doesn't line up, if there's bad character, if they're, they're saying things to please everybody else, they're false advertising, the outside of them looks put together. They dress in a way that makes them look kind. They say all the right words, but inside of them there's deceit and evil, and they're putting up a false advertising. Bad fruit will come to be. might just take some time. Your fruit will reveal your truth. And this is the teller that Jesus tells us. Your fruit will reveal that for you. So really quickly, I want to invite the band up, and I have three ways we can align our hearts and our minds. First of all, be honest with yourself. Before anything else, be honest with yourself. Proverbs 11.3 says this, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. 
So we see this. The integrity, the character of the upright will guide people. It has to start inside of you. That seems so backwards in this faith journey, like, yeah, I've got to bring it to God. I've got to present my request before him. But if you can't be honest with yourself, you're never going to be honest with God. You've got to find honesty down in you and realize that the things that are in you, maybe the bad things in you that are, that are holding you back or holding you down, all these things, be honest with yourself about them. Like you can be of good character and yet still struggling with something. As long as you're honest with yourself and next be honest with God. 1 John 1, 9 through 10 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So now that we're honest with ourselves, we can come to God. Now I want you to see this really fast. God is all knowing. He's aware of everything. He sees your heart. He sees your mind. He knows the disconnect between them. But he's just looking for your honesty. He's looking for your truth. And he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and purify us. He opens the door wide open. He says just tell me. I already know, just tell me. The last one is this, be honest with others. James 5:16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm not a big fan of accountability partners because I don't believe that everybody follows these stages beforehand. They like to get the guilt off or the shame and so they'll share a partial truth with an accountability partner every week and it gives them enough levity to feel good about what they're doing. And until you're accountable to yourself and to God, you can't really fully be accountable to someone else. I love it when people are honest with themselves, honest with God, and then they're accountable to others because that's when the power comes into play for accountability. So be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and be honest with others. So we've been welcomed into purity. By the gracious blood of Jesus, we have been made white as snow. And it says we will see God. We will see God. This was kind of the breakdown for me this morning. I was looking at this scripture and I was like, I really struggled with that line. This is maybe where it's gonna get a little rough, is that okay? I struggled with that line because I've been a believer since I was two. I remember, I don't remember, my parents have told me the story where when I was two years old, I said, I want Jesus in my heart. And not once in my life have I ever looked back. I've never seen God. I've had a lot of moments where that bridge connects. And Brianna and I do the best job we can with the strength we've been given to bridge that gap. I've never seen God with my eyes. So it's a tough statement. I was reading it today and I was, this morning I was trying to figure out how do you bring this thing to a close? Like, yeah, be honest with yourself, be honest with God, be honest with others. Amen, wrap it up, see you guys. 
See, when I start studying for sermons every week, I love to take whatever scripture I'm reading and read it in every translation. And I remember reading this one on Monday when I sat in King State trying to write my message. And I, I put all these in here just this morning. In the new, new international version, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In the NLT, it says, for they will see God. In the English Standard Version, it says, for they shall see God. In the BSB version, it says, for they will see God. The BLB, they will see God. The King James Version, it says, they shall see God. New King James says, for they shall see God. And the New American Standard Bible says, for they will see God. So every person that translated this original word see gave us such a basic understanding. See? We all know what see means. Doesn't matter if your vision is blurry or clear, we get it. Can you see God? Yet in the original Hebrew language, the word is horeo. And the first definition is see. To visually see. But you know what the second definition is? Pay attention to. You know what the third definition is? To understand. You know what the fourth one is? To experience. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will pay attention to God all around them. And they'll see the hand of God all around them. They'll see Him painting the story of their life. They'll see Him in the heartbreak. They'll see Him in the victories and the promises and the letdowns. They will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will understand so you will see with your mind you will understand God you'll understand his heart you'll understand the love that he has for you and number four blessed are the pure in heart for they will experience God you ever been into a church setting where someone says the presence of God is so thick they're seeing something maybe you don't see. When we are pure in heart, you can actually experience God. And your spirit is awake to it. It's alive to it. And it sees it. Thomas, after Jesus was crucified, buried in a tomb, was away from the other disciples. Jesus came to the other 10 disciples, revealed himself to them, and then left. Thomas comes back into the picture. Everybody's probably very emotional and excited. Thomas, Thomas, we just saw Jesus. And Thomas responds with this in John 20, 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A lot of people call him Doubting Thomas. 
doubting Thomas. Ten of his best friends just told him, we just saw Jesus. And he goes, nah, no way. Then Jesus appears. Verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, this is for us today. Believe, or because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those. Hello, are you with me, church? Same word in the Beatitudes. Happiness, contentment, fulfillment in this life. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Can I tell you today, this great faith that we carry, this great ability for us to see God without fully seeing Him, we walk in the blessings that God has for us. And I tell you what, someday you will see Him. But right now, right here, we are blessed, we are fulfilled, we are content, we are full of the true happiness that God offers because we have believed in faith. We gotta be people of character. We gotta say what we do, we gotta do what we say, and we gotta do the right thing. Would you stand to your feet? I know I went a little long today, but I pray and hope that you grasp this. See, yes, Jesus might show up like he did to doubtful Thomas. He might. But I tell you what, for the last hundred years, all the heroes of faith that have lived before us, that are even living now, pastors, leaders that are changing the world, I don't know of any of them that have told me they have seen God in the flesh. But you will see His presence in worship. You will feel His touch. You will hear His voice, even if it's just in your heart. He's revealing Himself. We have to bridge the gap, amen? bridge again. So our ever-present request to God should be that of King David. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. Can we just raise our hands across this place? Would you just ask that from God right now? Whether you've already asked it today, there's no harm in asking it. Maybe there's someone who's walked in here and it's been, it's been a journey for you and you've kind of walked away from living this life with the Lord and you want to 
recommit to your life to Him and give your heart over to Him and to get this great exchange as we talked about, a heart in the Spirit. We just want to give you a moment of that. Let me tell you this. We might not physically see God in this life, but the promise is that when we invite Him into our life and we walk and we live for Him, we will see God face to face for eternity. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to simply count to three. If that's you, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand at the count of three just to acknowledge that you want to give your life to Jesus or maybe restart this relationship with him. One, know that God loves you so much he sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that you may know life in this life and in the next. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait any longer. Don't let guilt, shame, condemnation stand in the way today. Give your life to Jesus. Three, if that's you, would you raise your hand and wave at me right now? Come on. Come on, hallelujah. Yes, I see your hand, hallelujah. Come on, can we celebrate people raising their hands in this house today? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the family. We're gonna pray a prayer together right now. I would ask you to repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new person and give me a brand new start. Forgive me of my past and give me faith and hope for my future. As I choose today to make you the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. So Lord, right now I thank you for all that you've done here today. We praise you. We worship you. I pray that we would pursue a pure heart that we would walk assured in your grace and your mercy like never before. Help us to pay attention to you all around us always. Help us to be mentally and spiritually aware of your ever-present presence. And help us to experience you every single day in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, we went over a little bit today, but I'm just so thankful for all of you, so grateful. If you did give your life to Jesus, we want to say welcome to the family. You made a great decision. Go ahead and grab the decided card or go out to our Connect booth. And then if you are new around here or want to get connected, we got growth track happening downstairs in the next 15 minutes. Go down there, get some food, hang out. It's going to be a great time. Brianna and I will be there to say hello. And uh, it's going to be great. We love you. We'll see you next week. Here we go, GCT. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.